family, it's Pastor Rob. Great to see you today. You know, when I was a kid, I loved to pretend. Maybe it was pretending with army men and I'm winning some massive battle over the enemy, whoever the enemy might be. You know, maybe you're building something out of Legos, or for me as a kid, it was Lincoln Logs. Still love Lincoln Logs. Maybe as I got a little older, it was it was playing, you know, cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers in my backyard with my little brother. But pretending, studies show, is a wonderful way and really in many ways essential for kids to grow. It helps them grow their imagination and their creativity. It helps them develop social and emotional skills. As they're interacting with others, they get to see how what they do affects other people. They get to deal with things not always going their way, right? And goodness knows none of us like it when things don't go our way. They learn language skills. This is where they learn how to properly use a new word to put it in place where it goes. Sometimes they use it and often use it to develop their thinking skills, their learning skills, and even the problem-solving skills. And it's a great thing because they can experiment all day. They can try and retry all day and there aren't any consequences, right? If you're fighting a battle of army men and it doesn't go the way you want it to go, you didn't lose the war. You just start the war over and do something different. (laughs) And you get to remake it the way you want to make it. When we grow up, though, when we mature... I think all of us kind of know that pretending like that generally just doesn't fly, right? Because the things that we say, once they're out, they're out. You can't undo them. The things that we do have outcomes, sometimes good outcomes, sometimes consequences. We can't replay those scenarios. You're developing your social and emotional skills in conversations with people, but it isn't just a matter of pushing a reset button or doing it again, if you've said something you shouldn't have said, or misread a cue, then you've got some backpedaling to do or some heavy-duty work to do to deal with the consequences, the fallout from that. Pretending doesn't work as well. It has consequences. Now, that doesn't stop us from pretending. If you remember the, if you owned a home in, in around 2008, you probably remember the housing crisis, right? Where the housing market essentially tanked. That was the the result of people taking out mortgages that at the end of the day, they were pretending like they could afford. They were saying, I can do this and we're gonna pretend like nothing bad is gonna possibly happen and live right at the edge or maybe even beyond the edge of their income and say, I can afford this place. I'm pretending, I'm acting like there are no consequences and I'm giving it a shot. But it's also the lenders that we're pretending (laughs) that these investments, these loans they were giving out were good, were a good investment. But when the reality hit, when the consequences hit and, and people could not pay those mortgages and all of a sudden they were in trouble, they're getting kicked out of homes, banks are losing money that they invested because now it's gone. The housing prices have crashed into the ground. Bad things have happened. And the truth is, it was because people were deluding themselves. They were pretending that you could do things without consequences. We make those kinds of choices in little ways on a regular basis. 
We are in the third week of a series. It's called The Main Thing. And our goal here is to focus on helping us reclaim Christ as the center of our lives in the midst of the chaos by making him and his kingdom the center of our daily living. The first week we talked about worry and how worry can quickly become the center of your life, but that if we're able to keep Jesus at the center, that we are able to see our concerns differently, our perceptions are different, and that that worry no longer drives us. Last week, we talked about many kingdoms, the idea that we love to be able to control our own little world and the things that go on around us. But if we're always battling with God over control of our lives, if Jesus is not the king, because there can be only one, then we shouldn't be surprised that our world comes crashing down around us. This week, we're going to talk about pretending. And the little ways that we pretend in our faith, that we pretend in our following of Jesus. Maybe we pretend that we are close to God when the the truth is we don't spend a whole lot of time with him. We don't read his word very often. We don't pray often. Uh, We don't humble ourselves before him. We just like to pretend that we've got a great relationship with God when if we really were to push ourselves, we realize we wouldn't. Sometimes we pretend we're putting God's desires first ahead of our own, but if we were really to look at our calendars, if we were really willing to look at our bank accounts, um, we would figure out pretty quick that most of the things that we do aren't really about what God wants. They're really about doing what we want and putting God in the background or when he's convenient to fit my calendar, my schedule. Maybe we're pretending, maybe there's some of us that are pretending that God doesn't notice in certain corners of our lives, maybe we have an addiction or maybe we have a compulsion that, that we know is bad, we know is tearing us apart, but we kind of go, God's not seeing this part, it's okay, we're pretending like he can't see. Newsflash, he can, but we're really good at pretending he can't. We even sometimes pretend with each other. We pretend that we are all okay when the truth is we're not. We're hurting or we're scared or maybe we're even doubting. And the truth is we also do that with God. We don't have the courage or the vulnerability to tell him everything that we're thinking or feeling, even though he already knows. We pretend like everything's fine. But like every other area of adult life, Pretending has consequences. You can only carry it so far. And so today, we're going to talk about making Christ the center of our lives, in particular through his word, and and to stop pretending that we're doing it when we're not. That simple. Stop pretending, because it has consequences. To kind of walk through that, we're going to look at the book of James today. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Um, And James, James is a book that is all about practical application of your faith. What are you doing with what you know? It's all about destroying pretenses and stop pretending. Stop pretending that we know the Lord. Stop pretending we're walking with God. Stop pretending that we're being his people. In reality, there's no proof in the pudding, right? And, and it's a hard book to swallow on the whole. 
Even Martin Luther, the theologian, had a lot of difficulty dealing with this book. He, he was made so uncomfortable by it that he actually lobbied at various points to have it removed from the Bible because he felt like it conflicted with being saved by grace through faith. It doesn't. It does help us better understand that a faith that is true, that is lived out, that is full, doesn't stop at pretending. So let's read James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 19 through 27. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. Let's jump in. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word, there's a word there in the last two verses in both verse 26 and 27 that's translated as religion. Religion is one of those, one of those words that we have kind of a... Um, I'd say in our modern day, kind of a love-hate relationship with, right? It's, it's, the truth is, the Greek word that comes from, threskaya, only shows up four times in the whole New Testament, and two of them are here. One in a good context, talking about a, a false religion or a useless religion, and then comparing it to a, a pure one, a good one, that fulfills the call that God has on their lives. When we hear the word religion, right, as I said, we kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. We, On the one hand, we think to ourselves, okay, it's following God. It's, it's recognizing that he is our Lord. But it's, it's also this crazy set of rules and rituals and, and disciplines. And, and it, we go so far sometimes in our world to say it's not a religion, it's a relationship, right? Because we're trying to distance ourselves from that word. And that's unfortunate in many ways because... It, it, as James is trying to help us understand and how it's explained in other places in the scriptures, which we'll get into in a minute, it's really not about that at all. It's really not about a set of rules for the sake of a set of rules. It's really about a life lived, a transformed life of following, pursuing God. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that rituals are bad. In fact, Christ implemented some rituals, right? He, he said communion he implemented. And he said to do so and Colossians or 1 Corinthians 11, he says to do this in remembrance of me, right? So he instituted this, this ritual of communion so that we would be reminded of who he is and, and bind us, tie us to him, to the memory of who our Savior is. That's super critical. That's a super important part of our religion, right? The way we practice our faith. But there are also some other rituals or things that we do to practice Religious, religious practices. 
One would be gathering on Sundays, right? Right now we're doing it online. None of us are super excited about that, but it is what it is. And but but we want to we love the ritual of gathering on Sunday mornings, particularly together. That's that's a piece of what it means for us to be the body of Christ. And the truth is that ritual has a lot of value because it helps us form our identity. It also is critical to our walk with Jesus. Um, you know, anyone who says, you know, I don't, I don't like the church, but I, I love Jesus. I want to say, you know what? Jesus created the church right out of the gate in the book of Acts. I'm feeling like if he did it, like the first thing he did, probably, probably a good thing and probably something that he really does want us to lean into. But the truth is, while those rituals are critical and we need to engage in them, the problem is, is that it's really easy to, to pretend with rituals and to tell ourselves that if we're at least doing these things, if we're at least coming to church on Sunday, if we're at least taking part in communion or being baptized, if we're at least doing those things, then we're practicing our religion to the fullest extent. But James is clear here. He's clear that that perspective is broken. In fact, he goes so far as to say that kind of religion is useless. Now, as we get further through James, he'll define what useless means rather critically. He'll say faith without works is dead. And so what he's saying is that kind of faith that is merely tied to the ritual, that kind of religion that is merely that, is without value to you or and without value to the world. It no longer has life. The truth is that Jesus is also very upset with the Pharisees. You know, the source text for much of this series is the Sermon on the Mount. And as we covered a lot of this last week, and especially in the first week when we talked about seeking righteousness, Jesus is angry at the Pharisees for practicing a religion that is just based on rituals, that is just based on certain practices that in some ways they're using to justify not fulfilling their religion, not fulfilling something that James here in our text today would call a pure religion. You know, I said that it this word shows up four times. I want to look at another one where this shows up. It shows up in Colossians 2, verse 18. And actually, my, my version, the Christian Standard, um, translates it differently, translates it as worship. Let's, but it's still freskaya. Let's see this word. It says in verse 18, let no one condemn you by delighting in aesthetic. That means self-denying, self-denying practices and the worship of angels. So the religion of the angels, which we know is not a thing, right? Or at least it shouldn't be. And Paul, in, in, the, in the context of this, Paul specifically identifies a problem with, with viewing this religion as merely this list of self-denying practices, right? Which is what we apply to that word, the meaning we apply to that word. But making this the, the litmus test or the center or core of our practice of faith, of our following of Jesus Christ, right? He goes on to say this, this feeds our pride. In verse 23 of Colossians 2, he says, this, this kind of practice has a reputation for wisdom, but really it's a false humility. 
And then he goes on into chapter three of Colossians, where he says, look, if you really want to follow God, if you really want to be the person he's calling you to be, then there's more to this than just rituals. There's more to following God. He talks about setting our minds on the things above. And then he talks about setting aside our behaviors that don't line up with God's will. And then he talks about managing our homes and our families as God would have us do it. And he finally says in verses 13, I'm sorry, chapter three, verses 14 and 15, he says, above all, put on love, right? Which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts and be thankful. There's a a transformation that occurs. It's a living out of our faith. And, And when we're pretending like we don't have to do that part because we're doing the rituals, we are minimizing the role of faith. And honestly, we're turning religion into all of those things that we don't want other people to think it is. And most of all, we're deceiving ourselves. As James just said, Garrison Keillor is a radio personality or was on NPR for probably 40, 50 years. I don't know his faith background. But when he's talking about those rituals, he says this quote, and I love it. He says, anyone who thinks merely sitting in church can make you a Christian, so merely fulfilling that ritual makes you a Christian, must also think that sitting in a garage can make you a car. There's a level of transformation that is really the outcome of a pure faith, a pure pure faith that pursues God. And there's no better way to find out what that looks like than in the word of God. And James makes no bones about that in our text today. When we're talking about making Christ the center, the main thing, it's really the word of God that also has to be part of the main thing because that's how we understand who God is. It doesn't come from some other place. It comes from his word written by him. So let's dig into that. What does that say about how we learn about keeping, when we keep the word of God at our center, at the center of our daily lives, how do we learn what this pure religion, this faith, this genuine faith looks like? Because I'm worried sometimes as I look around at our world, um, how many people claim to have a faith when really they're just pretending and we're seeing the fallout day in and day out. Let's dig into this though. In in our text today, what does James say about that? He says this in verses 19 through 21, he describes receiving the word with humility. Let's reread that section. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For every for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That phrase in verse 21, ridding yourselves, ridding yourself means taking off a garment. It has this this connotation of doing that, of removing those things that are covering you. And that's really opposite our nature, right? Nobody if we were going to be very, very honest, we probably would have a similar reaction to Adam in the garden, right? If God saw us naked, right? He panicked and he was vulnerable and scared. And I would 
say maybe a little angry because he started blaming everybody else for this, but he was vulnerable and scared and did not like it and immediately found something to cover himself up. A kind of vulnerability of removing those things that protect us in some ways from God, that little piece of our life that we think God's not looking at that we want, don't want to let go of, or this little part of our kingdom that we want to remain our own. Those are our protection for us. They're our safety for our souls, except that they're not really that safe. The truth is, if we want to know God, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to say, look, God, you're going to call me to something that maybe I don't want to deal with. You're going to make me solve a problem or an issue with me that I'm not prepared to approach. But the, the thing about God's word is, if we are really to, to see where God has us going, if we really do want to live this pure faith, this pure religion that James describes, this thing that isn't just about rituals and ceremonies, but it is about a life transformed in Christ, where he is at the center of everything, the truth is we have to be willing to be vulnerable. And we have to recognize that God's word is, is not interested in keeping us comfortable. What it's interested in is calling, out, calling us out of our pride and sometimes calling us out of our comfort. Because as the text just said, that's what's needed to save our souls. So how do we humbly receive God's word? Well, first, prepare our hearts, admit that pride is a problem for all of us, that we are trying to protect ourselves and pray for humility instead. We have to be willing to remove our garments, spiritual garments, to expect and embrace vulnerability in his presence. And we have to treat it, God's word, as what it is, and that is soul-saving stuff. That is the bread of life. It has that kind of value in our world if we are really following God, which leads us very quickly to our next point. Our next point is this. We must remember his word because it's, remember, that's how we learn about who God is and what a true faith looks like. We must remember the word constantly. I'll remind you, it says in verses 23 through 25, it says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Most of us are saying, are you kidding me? but we'll get to that in a second. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not forgetful, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. You know, many of you were quick to point out last week, or not many, a few of you were quick to point out last week after church the fact that my collars were messed up, right? that I didn't catch that part. I gotta tell you, I probably looked in the mirror probably three times before I recorded. I made sure that my hair wasn't flying all over the place. I made sure that breakfast wasn't left on me. But I missed the collar. Some, a couple of you, I'm talking to you, Mikhail, also missed the, I also missed a Chick-fil-A gift card sitting here in the corner. But I missed some things. And the truth is we are all especially when we're regarding ourselves, when we're considering ourselves spiritually, are able, we have a tendency to miss some things. Sometimes we miss them by accident. I miss the collar by accident. 
Sometimes we miss them because we're careless. Wait a minute, that's the same as by accident. <laughs> Sometimes we miss them because we don't want to see them. Again, that's pride. Pride is a problem. But we want to see the successes. We want to see the things that are going well, but we don't feel really good or really excited about seeing the parts that are wrong or dark or broken or are an opportunity to grow. And yet God's word is designed to help us see both. It's designed to be the mirror that we don't look away from, that tells us how it is. It's, it, 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 it's designed to tell us that yes, we are simultaneously beautifully and wonderfully made and yet sinners who have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's because we never stop being a work in progress. We never stop growing and pursuing and developing. And the word of God, when read constantly, when remembered constantly, keeps all of those things in focus, good or bad. Why? Because it's what's needed to save our souls. So how do we remember the word of God constantly? Well, the first is read it often. Um, one of the, the downfalls, I think, of our, our ritual of Sunday gatherings and, and the way we have them structured is this, is that it is very easy to say to ourselves, at least I'm hearing the word of God on Sundays. At least I'm hearing somebody dive deeply into God's word on Sundays and having it explained, right? At least I get to listen to my pastor. But the truth is that ritual, though critical and important, is not enough. There is a responsibility we have of our own to read and discern the word of God. We have a responsibility to dive deep into what that means. And the truth is we live in a way, in a world now where... <laughs> It is so incredibly easy to do that. The internet has made all these materials that you would have had to, in decades past, go to a seminary to ever read or ever consider are available to you. There are websites all over the place. Blueletterbible.org sparks a thing. Bible web app, which I, tell, I told Nita the other day I use all the time because it puts Greek right next to my translation and helps me see it differently and explain. That's not a super secret tool. That's a tool that's available to all of us in ways that have never been available before. But we can dive deep with our friends and actually bring up God in our discussions. We dive deep in a Bible study or as part of a small group. There are so many opportunities to dig deeply into the word of God rather than just, just doing the at least part, the ritual part that fulfill what it means. it means. It means to ask tough questions. That's how you keep it moving constantly. Be willing to ask tough questions because we don't like to deal with the uncomfortable nature of tough questions. We like to speak from what we already know and what we're comfortable with, but asking those tough questions I'm confident that my faith, my belief, and most importantly, my Lord, right, will stand up to the tough questions. But we have to be willing to ask them. How else do we remember the word constantly? The old tried and true matters. Memorize it. 
you know, we've got a, a group of teenagers right now here at Gretna that are, are participating in something called a Bible quiz. And there are, right now in Logan County, there are seven, seven teams, seven Bible quiz teams. It's roughly six kids per team. So you're talking like over 40 kids that every week they challenge themselves to learn a section of the book of Mark. And every week they come together and they've got buzzers and they've got, <laughs> and they're ready to ring in and try to finish sentences and know what's being said and know that text. Myself and the the other person who's the head coach, Robert Bender, and I were talking about it the other day. And in some ways, we feel like we tricked kids into studying the book of Mark. Uh, and you know what? We're totally unapologetic about that. Because the idea of memorizing scripture is something that that if you want it to be there at the ready, we've talked about this before, there's so many pieces of what, what's called the armor of God, those things that, that protect us, that are there for us in our fight against the things of the world or fight against the devil. The truth is the only offensive weapon in the whole bunch is the word. It's the sword. And to have our kids better prepared for when things inevitably come at them, I'm not gonna apologize for I think it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But unless we've got the entire Bible memorized, and if you do, good on you. But unless we've got the entire Bible memorized, there is wisdom in continuing to memorize scripture, to make it a part of our daily lives. Because when we do so, when it is part of who we are, it transforms our hearts and makes our hearts in line, right with where Christ would want us to go. That is the goal of this thing we call religion. That is the goal of our rituals. That is the goal of our decisions. That is the goal of our pursuit of God, to have our hearts right with Christ. And Spurgeon says a funny thing happens. He says, have your heart right with Christ, and he will visit you often. And so turn weekdays into Sundays, and meals into sacraments, and homes into temples, and earth into into heaven. It changes the way we see the world, the way we live the world. But in order to do that, Jesus and our understanding of him, which comes only from the word of God, has to be at the center of what it means to live, what it means to navigate life. The final thing we learn from James today in this piece of scripture is this. It says, we obey the word wholeheartedly. There's an obedience piece that matters, and it's probably the most uncomfortable piece for all of us. If we really are going to live as God wants us to live, if we really are going to find this pure religion, as James calls it, that saves our souls, then we have to be willing to obey the commands that he has laid out before us. James says it in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The truth is that God constantly in his word is going to call us, as I said before, out of our comfort zone. And sometimes we're just content to, to say to ourselves, you know what, I'm willing to do certain things in the name of the Lord without actually doing them. And I think that's the disconnect here. That's the disconnect. And the critical step to, to turning what is hollow, that's it's self-deceiving, that's a pretend faith into a real faith, is to put it into action. I can 
can I just tell you from personal experience, I have never seen God show up bigger than when I allow myself and I'm humble enough to just do what he's asking me to do and not get in my own way. That's when the amazing things that I get to witness happen. And I mean that. I don't do it, but I get to witness it. And that is un- incredible to growing our faith, to developing our faith, and to have our hearts aligned with Jesus to make him the center. David Platt, again, in his commentary in the book of James, also available online, right? Challenges us. This pure religion is, is about walking the talk. He says, don't be willing to obey the word of God. Actually obey the word of God. Don't be willing to help the poor actually help the poor. Don't be willing to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Don't be willing to live in purity. Live in purity. Do what God is asking us to do. If Jesus is the main thing in our lives, then honestly, we are doing our best to do the things that God wants us to do. And if we want to know what a pure religion is, this thing that is meant and intended to save our souls. Caring for others stands at the precipice of that because God cared for us. God cares for us when we are without. God cared enough for us to send his son to die for us when we could not help ourselves. And James, in this case, makes it abundantly clear that living out his word, living a pure religion that transforms who we are, that isn't just about stuff, but it's about a life, a disposition, an attitude, a pursuit of Jesus Christ, makes all the difference in the world in us and makes all the difference in the world around us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace.